Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. So I'm curious, how did you get into this field? Wow. How much time do we have? Well, I'll try and give it the abridged version. And that was the question I asked after we were completely done interviewing our guest. And it led to such an interesting conversation that we figured we would make this show out of it. We'll speak with David Bradburn, Vice President of Global Sales at HumanWare, who's been involved in the access technology field mostly as a salesperson for over 35 years, and a lot has changed over that time. Listen in on a conversation between David as a salesman and our host, Peter Torpy, as a user, as they reminisce about the evolution of access technology equipment since the early days. But first, for our tip of the week, this week's tip comes from David Bradburn. Okay, so my tip is this. I would encourage everyone to keep an open mind and be receptive to new technologies. If you're anything like me and you've been doing this for a long time, probably you have a couple of favorites, things that you might have even owned for years. But just know that there are constantly changing uh, products coming from companies within this industry and indeed everything that we we think of as technology. So keep an open mind, check things out. Even though many of the conferences have gone virtual for the year ahead, that's actually good news for all of us because you don't have to travel very far to learn about these things. And as we walk through some of the changes that have happened in access technology over the past few decades, we'll see exactly why that is true. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by APHConnectCenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting David and learning about the company he's with now, Humanware. Well, hi, my name is David Bradburn. I am located near Boston, Massachusetts, and that's where I'm speaking to you from now. We talked with you a couple of months ago about some specific products, but this week we're going to talk about the history of technology and how it's changed through the years, and it's kind of a fun journey. But in the meantime, you have a new position. Can you tell us about what you're doing these days? Uh, I'd love to. Thanks, Peter, and it's nice to be back talking to you. Actually, a little over a month ago, I joined a company named Humanware, It's possible that some of your listeners have heard of that company before. I think so. (laughs) Yeah, they've been around for actually 32 years. They're a Canadian-based company, though they do have uh, offices throughout the world, including the USA. And I am working with their sales team. I'm their vice president of global sales. So that's where I am now. Very happy to be there. And just as a quick intro, um, for those that haven't heard of Humanware, I guess it's possible there might be one or two people. Humanware is a manufacturer of assistive technology for people who are blind or visually impaired. 
So they offer both Braille solutions, they also have talking solutions, and they also have large print. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is the evolution of access technology as it parallels both David's career and Pete's experiences as a user. So I'm curious, how did you get into this field? Wow. How much time do we have? Well, I'll try and give it the abridged version, Peter. (laughs) So I am from England originally. And in 1984, I began working for the company that was at that time the distributor for something called the Kurzweil Reading Machine. I don't know if you've heard of that. I remember it well. Okay. So I go back to the days when that Kurzweil Reading Machine, as impressive as it was, and really there was nothing else like it in the world at the time, was the size of a a fridge, the type that you send your kids off to college with, but except it weighed about 300 pounds and so it wasn't that portable. And it cost $30,000. It did. It did cost $30,000. And it's amazing today to think that we actually had places that were buying those things. It was mostly libraries back then. Yes. Well, you talk about those early Kurzweil machines. So we're actually retired physicists. We both have PhDs in, in physics. And when we were working at Xerox, Xerox had just bought the Kurzweil company. Yeah. And they were looking mm-hmm. to, I, I would guess, to get the... Um, number of manufactured units up and the price down. They were giving away some of those those reading machines. And I wound up with one in my office. And I figured, oh, this would be neat. I'll try to read the Xerox internal memos and stuff like that. And they were just terrible. First of all, you know, the little scare would go back and forth. It would, it would take like two yes. minutes to go through the page and it would get half yes. of it wrong. Right. But, you know, still it was a great invention. I, I tried, you know, reading other things and it just wasn't that reliable. And now when you think of that same technology on your phone, just snap a picture and it's automatic. Yeah, the KNFB reader, it's, you know, exhibit number one, right? I mean, it's, yeah, yeah it is. It's incredible. You know, uh, thinking back to those XIS days, so actually when I say Kurzweil, when I first came to the U.S., actually it was Xerox Imaging Systems that hired me. Oh, okay. Oh, uh-huh. I worked with them for about six months. And I was, I was inches away from getting my work visa when I was approached by Michael Sokol, who used to work for Xerox Imaging Systems. He was the director of sales there. Mm-hmm. And unbeknownst to me, he had gone off and with Raymond Kurzweil and some other guys that he knew, they had, they had formed Kurzweil Educational Systems, which made the Kurzweil 1000 software. Oh, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so they asked me to join them. And so I did. But you know, at great expense because it meant that my work visa application was null and void and I had to start all over again. Oh, jeez. That was a tumultuous uh, year in my life. But anyway, I'm glad I made the decision I did because yeah. uh, Kurzweil was a really good experience for me. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. It was quite innovative products at the time. And, uh, Indeed. Amazing how it all changed. It is. Wow. So you got into the access technology field a really long time ago. So I started in the industry at that time, and that same company was also a distributor for other companies that many people have heard of. So back then it was Henta Joyce. This is long before they oh, became yes. part of Vespero. Mm-hmm. But I, I knew Ted Henta personally. I, uh, you know, so we represented uh, them. We represented uh, Zoom Text. 
We represented Index with their range of Braille embossments. We also represented enabling technologies at that time. Do you ever have the opportunity to use any of this access technology? In fact, it was during my time in England, I spent about 10 years in the industry there, where I learned Braille. Uh, Once upon a time when I was working with Braille a lot, I used to be able to type and read even grade two Braille fairly proficiently. Now, I can certainly do some grade two, but I'm not as proficient because I don't work with Braille so much anymore. But that's what I did. As a personal aside, my wife is Mexican. Mm -hmm. And so we were married and living in England. And it was after about four or five years living there, we decided we'd give Mexico a go. We emigrated to Mexico, took our, our young daughter at the time with us. And I worked with Pulse Data, Pulse Data in New Zealand, which would subsequently become Humanware. Oh, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And I was working with that company and distributing their products as well as Kurzweil and some other things throughout Mexico and Latin America. And in 1996 was when I was approached by the folks at Kurzweil asking if I would join them as their international sales manager. And so that happened. And it was because of Kurzweil back then that I got my US work visa and subsequent green card. And I became a citizen after that. But nevertheless, I worked in the US since 1996. We've been in Massachusetts all this time. I was with Kurzweil until 2012. And what came next? And then after Kurzweil, I was with Baum with their Braille displays and uh, CCTVs. I was working with Baum until the very end of 2017. And their company, unfortunately, it was a very sad day, went out of business. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we had been distributing for Zumax during this time. And so as Baum was about to close, Zumax said, hang on a second, we're actually thinking of starting our own company. You want to join us? And I was like, sure, that'd be great. Oh, geez. So I literally kind of, you know, ended uh, my job with Baum on one day and the next day I was working with Zumax. So I never missed a beat. Wow. Oh, you've certainly been in this industry for a long time with some really varied and uh, interesting experiences. Yeah. And it was in this role working at Zumax that we interviewed David this past summer about their Ace Site series of products. But as we learned in the introduction, he has recently switched to working for Humanware. You know, it's, it's funny. I don't often get to speak to people and reminisce about such things. But when I think back to, you know, some of the early products that we used to sell, mm-hmm. I mean, even my experience, just thinking back to computers, we were also dealing with um, Kurzweil speech recognition back then. And I was showing speech recognition back before people even considered it as something that someone who was a quadriplegic could mm-hmm. use to, to command and control a computer. Who would have thunk it? Yeah. yeah. And now, of course, you know, we all have speech recognition with, with Siri and Alexa and these other kind of smart speakers at home. And uh, it's just all commonplace stuff and it works with everybody. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I can remember it used to take me a whole day to train and set up a voice profile with the speech <laughs> recognition and then wait for another 24 hours while the computer churned. And if you got a power cut in between all that, and the computer turned off, you have to go back to square one and start again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually used Dragon Naturally Speaking about 20 years ago yes. for maybe a year or two until I finally caved and had surgery on the carpal tunnel. <laughs> But it was like you described, you know, the training was hours and hours and hours, and the result yeah. wasn't so good. And now you no. can just talk into your smartphone, and it gets it almost all right. Exactly. 
In fact, a few sentences into my initial attempt to use Dragon Natural speaking after the seemingly endless training, I said, I feel like an idiot. Because really, at the time, nobody was used to talking to a computer back then. And it parroted back, I feel like a Canadian. You know, I have the Apple CarPlay feature in my car, in my Jetta. So I am always impressed that I can be driving along with, I don't, don't take my eyes off the road, and I'll get a text message or a message from my wife or one of my dealers or something. And I'm giving fairly elaborate responses. I would say I speak for a minute. <laughs> yes. And all of a sudden she comes back and there's scarcely an error anywhere. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. And what errors there are don't affect the contextual understanding of what I've said. So I don't even worry about it. Right. right. Just right. send it. And it works great. Yeah. yeah right. No, it's, um, it really is. It's been fantastic to see where it's come from. Boy, it has come so far in 20 years. You know, when I started in the industry, of course, I was, um, was a very young man. I'm still young now, I might add, but I'm 53. Yes. And here I am. I'm, like, I'm fast becoming uh, one of the elder statesmen, I suppose, because, uh, again, I most of the people that I knew and, uh, and worked with in the early days have retired. So if you want to have some fun, we got it into our heads. Wouldn't it be cool to get Dean Blasey, Jim Fruchterman, and Ted Henter on a Skype call together? Yeah. And we interviewed them about, you know, <laughs> Freedom Scientific, how it formed and what they've been doing since. And that yeah. wound up being two consecutive episodes. Oh, so you're telling me you did do it? Oh, oh we, did. we did. Oh, we did a few years we ago. Did. Was there an episode number in terms of that podcast? Yeah, 1740 and 1741. Wow, interesting. The funny thing was we had previously interviewed each of them separately for other episodes. We have, we've actually had uh, Ted Henter on several times. And we've decided, well, you know, maybe we can get these guys together. But they hadn't really kept in contact with each other. So it was like this big get-together party for these guys. I think Ted and Dean did a little bit, but not yeah. much. Yeah. So, well, I think Ted and Dean are actually friends. Yeah, but, but they don't see each but other But Jim much. was a business relationship with yeah. the other two. And, yeah. oh, my gosh, the yes. banter. It was really kind it, of fun. It was so fun. That is excellent. I'm Dean Blasey. I'm Jim Fruchterman. I'm Ted Henter. We were a core part of growing the assistive technology business into having widespread impact on the community of people who are blind. We, we were there for sort of the golden age. Yeah. And if you want to hear that episode, we'll have a link to that in our show notes associated with this episode. So that clip obviously came from those episodes, but we also saved a recording of some of the banter back and forth before we buckled down to do a serious interview. How you doing? I've been following you on Twitter. Yeah, thank you. Doing, doing pretty well. Our big issue is whether or not Bookshare continues to be funded, and we're waiting to hear because it's the oh, once every five really? years. Yeah. But the good news is Republicans love us. Democrats love us. The president good. recommended an increase for our, our line item, which not a lot of education areas got an recommended increase from, from the Trump administration. Wow. But is that Ted? And Dean. Hi, yeah, Ted. Ted's on. Ted's here. All right. Wow. Man, we should be in the Pretty same amazing. place and having a drink, but instead we're just talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what's this about? Yeah. Who set this up, Ted? Yeah. There's no drink. <laughs> yeah. 
When have we ever been uh, together and not been having a drink? I wonder. Yeah. I, I know. First, this is the first. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> there's always later in the day, right? Yeah. Well, I'm going to open a bottle of wine right now. It's four o'clock. It's happy hour here. No, it's two o'clock here. I have a question for you guys. When was the last time you guys actually got together in one group? Oh, an NFB convention in Kentucky, probably. Wow. And how long ago was that? Uh, Ten years. Wow. Ten or more, because I haven't been to a convention since about 2004, three or four. Yeah. So this is an interesting get-together for you guys, too. Yeah, yeah it really is. Neat. I saw Dean recently back in April, but I haven't seen Jim in uh, at least 12, 13 years. That was a fun episode. So back to our conversation with David. Again, as I think about, you know, the things that have changed, there are also things that, you know, in some respects don't feel that different. So if you think about something like JAWS, I mean, I, I worked with JAWS when it was an MS-DOS screen reader, right? So, you know, long before we were getting into even Windows 3.1, much less right. Windows that we have today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I think of the things that people were doing, I mean, the tasks that someone who was blind or visually impaired in an office environment compared to what people can do today. I mean, now nothing surprises me in terms of someone coming along and saying, well, this person's blind and they're fill in the blank with whatever their profession is. Yes. I don't think there's anything I haven't heard. I mean, literally, you can, you can find an example of someone who's blind or visually impaired in every walk of life. And I think, you know, I've, I've spoken at the NFB National Convention a couple of times in my life. And the last time I did so was maybe three or four years ago. And that was when I was still with Baum. And I remember that I was about to address the General Assembly. But before I did, they had a guy come out. He's blind. On a bright red motorcycle, he it, he rides in. Actually, he's kind of wheeling it along with his pushing his feet along on the floor, so he wasn't like driving it. But nevertheless, he does it. You know, he's revving up and down, make, making all the engine noises as it comes in, and he get he parks this thing right in front of the dais where everyone is seated, uh, seated and uh, standing. Turns off the bike, gets off the bike, proceeds to extract a white cane the way I remember seeing cowboys take a Winchester rifle off of the horse saddle, (laughs) you know, kind of thing. It was like somehow, I mean, it was the length of the bike. The bike was really long. And he gets up and he comes up and talks. And apparently this guy used to be a semi-professional race car driver, was involved in a a race-related accident, lost his sight immediately. And that was like five years before this event. And then what does he decide to do? He decides to become a motorcycle rider. And he, you know, was in the, at least at that time, he had the world record for being the fastest blind person on two wheels. And he had ridden this motorcycle at 100 miles an hour in the Bonneville Salt Flats. We did an episode with we, him. We interviewed him. Yes. Oh, did you? Fantastic. Oh, yeah. So you know the story. Yeah. yeah. And because the theory is, it's like, if this guy can figure out how to do whatever it is your dream is, Yes. And if that's racing a motorcycle, go for it. You know, then maybe you can figure it out too. And nothing's impossible. That's my point. I've been doing this for so long. So again, nothing really kind of impresses me. And I don't mean, I don't, I don't say it to be kind of, you know, flippant or anything. I have the same expectations for friends who are blind as I would anybody else. I just don't look at it as being, well, the, it's, it, they're, they're never going to get beyond some menial thing. Yeah, that, that is a good thing. So, well, I, I, of course it is. And... And so when we think about the young people, you know, and so, of course, at, at the NFB meetings, you know, one of the things they do during the banquet as well is they announce the scholarship winners. And you have all these young people that are, 
you know, they're the next generation of leaders ultimately for, uh, you know, for certainly for NFB, but, but frankly for society at large. It warms the heart when you can see how, you know, once upon a time we had all this technology and we had to make so many compromises with them, whether it was inaccurate OCR results or something that was just slow and really, really expensive. And now we've got things like KNFB Reader that is really putting things into, you know, the mainstream. There's really no excuse for anyone to say that they can't access, well, no reasonable excuse, that they can't access print in this day and age. Yes. It shouldn't be a barrier any longer. And that's kind of our motivation for doing this show. I mean, we've been retired now a long time, and it's sort of our retirement project, you know, our way of giving back. And just to show that, you know, we interview blind folks in various professions, be it oceanographer, lawyer, scientist, etc., and then people doing amazing athletic things like riding the bike, as you described, or running marathons. And, you know, just to show that just because you're blind doesn't mean you have to be on the corner selling pencils. You can be doing anything you want. We have the tools and the technologies these days. All you need is the motivation and a little drive. Yeah, I agree. And it's been fun just connecting with people around the world in various situations just to see how they don't see these things as barriers and they just overcome these challenges. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff, isn't it? Your career isn't over yet, but it's been lengthy and varied. Is there any kind of summary comment that you'd like to make about what you've observed over the years in the evolution of access technology? Wow, that's a big question. You know, when I think back to my very, very early days, back in 1984, when I was working with... Uh, the Kurzweil reading machine for the blind. When you consider that that device was big, heavy, expensive, now consider the KNFB reader app, right, which you can get for your phone. And uh, I believe if you're buying it, it's like $75. And I think it's even free in some instances to certain people. That's what's happened in the span of 35 years. And since I mentioned Kurzweil, Worth pointing out, Ray Kurzweil always told everybody we'd get there. And it was impossible to envision for the normal people like me that we could ever see something as small and portable. We speak about technology. It's advancing at a rapid rate. So if you consider what is brand new technology today, 18 months from now, the equivalent product is going to be smaller. How much smaller? I don't know. It's going to be faster. It's usually going to be cheaper. It's certainly going to be more efficient. And that applies to everything that's out there. If you think about assistive technology, and I mean, I've mentioned a couple of the Braille display products from Humanware. Someone sent me a photograph um, last week. It was a picture of him sitting at a Braille computer called the David. No relation. So the David is or was a bright red braille computer. It was made by Baum years and years ago. This is going back to the very early 1990s. It was a 40 cell display. It was a a 386 processor running MS-DOS because back then that's what we were all using. It was a beautiful thing. I mean, at the time, I mean, who had ever thought of a, a computer for a blind person? And yet here was this thing, and we thought it was 
the be all and all uh, of Braille. And now, again, we've got these these small little Braille displays now, which have Bluetooth. And we can use that with an iPhone or an Android phone. And that phone has got more power than probably every computer that was in the room at the time. And that's just a Braille display. We can have the same discussion about uh, magnification devices. Magnification devices, if we go back to the 1970s with these huge TV-based things with a camera on a stand next to them, once you set those things up, you weren't likely to move them because the I mean, you can get a magnification app if you think about, you know, some of the stuff that's available on on the phones or even just the handheld magnifiers where these things will fit in your pocket. So, you know, when I, when I think back to the, uh, you know, the tip of the, the tip of the week that I was sharing earlier and, you know, encouraging people to kind of keep this open mind, it's the fact that certainly if something's working for you and it's reliably working for you and you're happy with it, don't rock the boat. I'm, I'm not encouraging people to try and fix something that isn't broken. But if you are in the market for something that's new, uh, you're likely to be in a shock if you haven't been out shopping for five years because things have improved that much. It's hard to believe how far we've come since those early days, almost unimaginable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is totally unimaginable. It's a very exciting time to be alive when you think of technology. This was great talking with you. It's kind kind of fun. Oh, sure. It was a pleasure. We thank will, you very uh, much. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh, of course. It's my pleasure. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about humanware and how to contact David Bradburn directly. If people want to find out more about humanware and some of the products that they sell for low vision and blindness individuals, where would they go? That's really easy to answer. So the web address, of course, is always the easiest way. Uh, the website is the, the usual www. And then humanware. So H-U-M-A-N-W-A-R-E.com, humanware.com. There's also a toll-free phone number that you can call. That's 800-722-3393. I'll repeat that. It's 800-722-3393. And when you call, you'll hear prompts that you can get to speak to someone, one of our, uh, our customer service representatives. They'll be able to answer any basic questions that you might have. And this is, if there's anything that requires more of an expert, they'll be able to put you in contact with someone who can certainly answer your questions. And if somebody wanted to reach you directly, what would be the best way? Well, they're more than welcome to do that. So my email address is simply my first name dot last name. So david.bradburn, that's B-R-A-D-B-U-R-N, david.bradburn at humanware.com. Or if you prefer to speak to me by phone, call that toll-free number that I gave just a few seconds ago, and my extension number is 305. Does Humanware have a social media presence? They do. They're absolutely on Facebook forward slash Humanware afterwards. And as usual, if you're looking for any of the contact information, you'll find it in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. 
That's it for show number 2220. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about products and programs from the National Braille Press. No matter what your age, interests, or career, chances are that the National Braille Press offers something for you. We'll talk with Cassell Wilson, Editorial Director at the NBP, about the books the NBP produces in Braille and other formats for children, general interest, professionals, and those looking for technical manuals. We've used their services for years, so we hope you'll join us next week to find out if it might benefit you also. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.